Since we just finished our, uh, our journey through Ephesians, we're getting a bit of a late start on, uh, on Advent and the Advent uh, series sermon, uh, sermon series this year. But we'll be, uh, we'll be starting in a book that I'm sure we're all real familiar with and, and we'll be able to find real quickly in our Bibles, the book of Zephaniah. Zephaniah is a, uh, he's a minor prophet. He's not well known. His book is only three chapters and it's pretty easy to miss. But this week, as I spend time in six verses of the final chapter of this text, the grace of God and, and his plan for our salvation overwhelmed me. I pray that as we sit in this text this morning, that you would catch a glimpse of how amazing our God is and how awesome his love for you is. Zephaniah chapter 3, verses 14 to 20, we read, The word of the Lord. Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion. Let not your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. I will gather those of you who mourn for the festival so that you will no longer suffer reproach. Behold, at that time I will deal with all your oppressors. And I will save the lame and gather the outcast, and I will change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. At that time, I will bring you in, at that time when I gather you together, for I will make you renowned and praised among all the peoples of the earth when I restore your fortunes before your eyes, says the Lord. This ends the reading. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word, for your word is truth. God, I pray that you'd speak through your word today, that you would perform the miracle that feeds our souls. We pray this in your name. Amen. So I was, uh, I was listening to my, my Christian, or my, sorry, my Christmas music station on Pandora this week, which is allowed since it's after Thanksgiving, like we're allowed... We're allowed to do that now. And, and the song Santa Claus is Coming to Town started playing. I'm, I'm not usually a big like Christmas song guy. I like, I like the Christmas carols. But most of the secular songs I'm not really that crazy about. But I was listening anyway because, you know, Christmas. So, so that's what we do. And, and that song came on. And every time I hear that song, I'm struck by some of its words. They just, they just really stick out to me. You better watch out. You better not cry. You better not pout. I'm telling you why. Santa Claus is coming to town. He's making a list and he's checking it twice. Gonna find out who's naughty and nice. Santa Claus is coming to town. And we get a little creepy. He sees you when you're sleeping. And he knows when you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good. So be good for goodness sake. Oh, you better watch out. You better not cry, better not pout. I'm telling you why. Santa Claus is coming to town. 
Christmas is it's this season of joy, this season of happiness, this season of giving. And yet in our secular culture, there is this undercurrent of abused and misused morality. Because Santa has two lists, right? He's, he's, he's got his two lists. One list is, is for the good kids. And then, and then there's that list for the bad kids. And if you're not on the good list, or I'm sorry, if you're on the good list, then you get like the toys, you get the things that you wanted. You know, it's, 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 it's going to be a good Christmas if, if you're hanging out on the good list. But if you're on the bad list, you get coal. Like that, that, that's what you get. You get a little black rock that's been buried in the earth forever. You get coal. And this becomes this like stick that we use. It becomes a source of leverage to try to get people to behave, to try to get people to be good around Christmas time. And for some reason, it's only around Christmas time. Like we forget that that list goes all year round. But around Christmas, like we're really focused on making sure that we're good right now, right? That, that, that we're being nice to our, that our kids are behaving. These are things that, that, that we use. And we've even gone so far as to introduce some intruders into our houses. We put this little elf on our shelf, and we tell our kids that, that this elf reports to Santa. So they better be good if they want to stay on the nice list. And, you know, we move, we move that elf around our house so that the kids are like, oh, no, he's actually alive. Like, he's moving, and now he's watching this room. So i got to make sure I'm good in this room today. Like, that's it's kind of like the, this, this shtick that, that we use. They better behave themselves. You know, even if mom and dad aren't looking, even if we're not around, even if our, our little sister or brother isn't there to tattle on us, that elf is going to know. So, so, so we've got to be careful. Santa and his elf, they're always watching. Right? It's like Monsters, Inc. Always watching. They'll know if you're bad. And they'll put you on the naughty list. And then it's Merry Christmas, here's your coal. We attempt to extort good behavior from our children by threatening to withhold presents. <laughs> by threatening to take away what they want and give them what nobody wants. Does it work? Does it work? This undercurrent of forced morality in the secular Christmas season has always frustrated me. Because it seems to fly in the face of the whole giving season. Because in a sense, you are earning your gifts by good behavior. So they're no longer gifts, but rewards. And on top of all that, it doesn't, it doesn't even work. Sure, there may be instances when a child looks up at that elf on the shelf and decides not to hit their brother or, or steal their sister's candy, or play on daddy's computer. But no amount of leverage can make us good people. No amount of bribery is going to make me a good person, or my children good people. Our kids still fight. There are still tears. Toys are still broken. Feelings are still hurt, and candy is still stolen. But in spite of our knowledge that our kids are not good... And totally deserve to be on the naughty list. How many of us follow through and give coal to our children? How many of us have received coal ourselves? Not just as a joke. I mean, every once in a while, you know, I'll drop a piece of coal in there just to like chuckle. But how many of us know this is what you get this year? Have your coal and enjoy it. You can put it in your hot chocolate if you want. Like you're, this is what you get. 
The naughty list, the elf on the shelf, they don't really work. They aren't effective for one main reason. We're convinced of our own goodness. We're convinced of our own goodness as a society, as people, as a nation. We tend to believe that we're good. I mean, we don't do the things on the naughty list, right? We, we haven't killed anyone. And that's, that's typically what it seems to like come down to for people, right? I haven't, I haven't killed anyone, man. Like, I'm a good. I, I may have done some other things that, that aren't completely moral. You know, I may have uh, fudged the lines here or there, but no one got hurt. No one got hurt. Everything ended up okay. The wrongs were, were justifiable. And, and really, at the end of the day, I haven't killed anyone. So I'm pretty much still a good person. Right? And I mean, in some ways, we do this in the church as well. Christians are not immune to the deceptive powers of our own self-image and worth. You see, we have this list that we try to keep, these things that, that we do as Christians. And there's nothing wrong with the list. Like, the list is a, actually, it's actually very good. It's a good thing. It was given to us in the Bible. It's given to us by Jesus. So the list is actually really good. But the motivations we have for doing the things on the list are very important. Are we, going to tru- are we going to church, telling the truth, praying, reading the Bible, tithing, using respectful language? Are, are we doing these things to earn brownie points and stay on the good list? Or are we doing these things because we love God and want to please him? Are we doing them to prove that we aren't bad people or are we doing them to honor God? Are we doing them so that God will bless us? Or are we doing them to bring God glory? We struggle to see ourselves as the sinners that we truly are. And when we recognize that we truly are sinners, we we try to hide it. We try to bury it. We, We try to hide it by checking as many of the boxes on the good list as we can. And so like the world around us, we too are susceptible, even more inclined in some ways, to trick ourselves into thinking that we're good. Because we've done good things that good people are supposed to do. So we prove that that deep down we're good people. And sure, you know, sometimes, sometimes we do bad things. But that our basic inclination, our underlying morality is good. And that should be rewarded. So how can I give my child coal when I know deep down they're good, that they're, you know, they're trying? That really, they should be on the nice list. And since we become convinced of our own goodness, we don't actually believe that we will receive coal. Our society just doesn't believe that they're going to receive coal. They just, they just don't believe it. They see God as strictly a God of love. Not a God of justice. And since God loves them, how could he give them coal? The way that our society views Santa and the elf, our own goodness and the giving of gifts and the holding back of coal is is strikingly similar to how the Israelites viewed God and their relationship to him. Or maybe more importantly, his relationship to them back in the days of Zephaniah. Zephaniah was a prophet during the time of, or the same time as Jeremiah, during the time that Josiah was the king of Judah. 
Now, Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet, as his prophecies were of doom and gloom for God's people. Zephaniah, since he was around during the same time, also prophesied of the judgment of Israel. But the people didn't listen. None of the prophets, now this is, this is striking to me, L- listen to this, because it, it's so true, but it just, it hit me as I, was, as I was researching and looking at things this week. None of the prophets were ever able, even once, to persuade this people that God was angry with them. They relied continually on the claim that they were and were called God's people. And whoever preached that God was angry with them had to be a false prophet and and had to die. For they would not believe that God would leave his peoples. They would not believe that God would give them coal. But coal they received. The king of Babylon was, was God's rod upon the Israelites. They received so much coal that their stocking fell off the mantle and they were displaced. They were taken from their country into the country of Babylon. They became exiles in a foreign land. Though God loved them, he did not spare them. Though they were his people, they were still cast out of their land. Our God is a just God. He is a God of love, but he is also a God of justice. And so disobedience had to be punished. There had to be a consequence for the crimes committed and for the lack of repentance. And man, those consequences are severe. The book of Zephaniah lays it out, and it's not pretty if you read earlier. So so our text this morning is the last passage in the book of Zephaniah. But we're going to read just a little bit earlier here. It's... Zephaniah chapter 1, verses 17 to 18. I will bring distress on mankind, says the Lord, so that they will walk like the blind because they have sinned against the Lord. Their blood shall be poured out like dust and their flesh like dung. Neither their silver nor their gold shall be delivered, shall be able to deliver them on the day of the wrath of the Lord. No bribery here. You're not going to get away with it. In the fire of his jealousy, all the earth shall be consumed for a full and sudden end he will make of all the inhabitants of the earth. These are just two verses outlining the destruction that we are due because we have trusted in our own goodness. This is the coal that we have earned by our own merit. This is the coal that we deserve through the good works that we do on our own. And if Zephaniah ended his prophecy here, we wouldn't have any reason for hope. But the prophecy doesn't end there. That's not where Zephaniah, that's not where the word of God leaves us. Zephaniah 3, 14 to 15. Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel, rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. 
God will save his people. God has saved his people. This time of year is wonderful. Christmas is fantastic. And a small part of the reason for that is it's the Christmas cheer. I don't really know how else to like describe it. I just Christmas cheer just seemed to work. Right, the focus on a family, the exchanging of gifts, the good cheer, the, the Christmas spirit that seems to unite us as neighbors, as, as strangers, as people, the fun songs, the feel-good movies, the cookies, the colors, the goodwill towards men. And all of that's like well and good. It's nice. It's nice. But the real reason that Christmas is fantastic is because of the king. It's because of the king. At Christmas, the king has come, and he is in our midst. God became man, and he lived among us, and so we never need to fear evil again. Take the time and read the rest of that passage in Zephaniah. Mark it down and and go back to it. Read it again and again. God has taken away the judgments against us. He will not hold the wrong things that we have done against us. Jesus took care of those things on the cross. We didn't check enough things off of some list. He did. He did. Jesus did with his life. And he took all of our judgment on the cross. And he paid for it all there. How amazing is that? And God has cleared away the spiritual forces, the enemies that were surrounding us. Satan has no power over God. We we talked about that last week, how the battle is over and Satan is bound by the power of God. We do not need to fear our enemies. And God is with us in our midst. We can rejoice and be glad for he has saved us. He is the strength of those that do not have strength for themselves. Though your sin may make you feel like an outcast, unloved and undesired, he brings you close. He draws you near to himself and to the body of Christ. And he will restore us. He will restore us. I think of my little child growing in my wife. This week we went to an ultrasound and saw where cysts are forming on our little one's brain. The spirit of our child is growing in a body that will not support life. Not for very long, anyway. Unless God performs a miracle, our our child might possibly live for a year, but weeks is, is much more likely. And as I'm pondering that reality, I read Zephaniah. I'll read about how God will save us, how God will bring joy, how God is in our midst. How he saves the lame and the outcast. How our shame is turned to praise. How he will restore us. My child isn't going to be restored to a body with cysts in the brain and holes in the heart. And I won't be restored to a body with skin issues, allergies, bad teeth, and a slowing metabolism. 
You won't be restored to a body with diabetes or cancer, weak bones, ADHD, acne, weight issues, or whatever it is that you may be struggling with right now. On the day of the Lord, we will be restored to heavenly bodies. We will be restored to a world without pain, without suffering, without trisomy 18. We can look to that day and know that it is coming because God has told us that it is coming. And man, what a wonderful day that will be. Just as God will restore us and our bodies on that day, so he has restored our relationship with him today. We don't have to wait for that. It's not somewhere down the road. We aren't in the Old Testament wondering when God will restore our relationship with him. He has done it. He has restored us. He has restored us. He has restored our relationship by the life and sacrifice of Jesus Christ. This is why we celebrate Christmas. We could not fulfill the list. We could not be perfect. We fell short. No matter how hard we tried, no matter how good we attempted to be, no matter how excellent our intentions were, each of us was carved in stone on the naughty list. Each of us deserved to have our bloods turned to dust and our flesh to dung. And so out of his great love for us, God sent his son, a little baby, to live a life, a full life, to face all the things that we face. And he did. The temptations. He faced all the sin. But he lived a perfect life. The perfect life that we could not. And when we believe that all of this is true, that he came, that he died for our sin, that he rose again, then it is no longer our hopeless works that God sees. But instead, he sees the work of Jesus Christ. And the righteousness of Jesus is given to us, is counted as ours through faith. So through faith in Jesus, the judgment is taken away. It's gone. The sin is remembered no more. The elf on the shelf doesn't matter. We don't need to to fear receiving coal. For where we deserved coal, where we deserved death, we have received grace. We have received faith. We have received life. And the elf doesn't report our works. He reports the works of Jesus. He reports the works of Jesus. What a gift. What a treasure. What a wonderful truth. This, this is why we celebrate Christmas. For at Christmas, the King has come. Amen.